Well, as most of you know, Rock Valley Bible Church, we've been using the fighter verses. Um, Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota, they put together this this program, strategically chosen Bible verses, um, about one or two a week, sometimes three verses a week uh, throughout the year. Um, that's about a hundred verses a year, about five years, um, strategically to think through some key verses uh, in your life that you can memorize. And so we've been we've been doing that together. We we use that um, primarily in our, our prayer meeting, uh, just to prompt our prayers. We meditate on that, but we really encourage you all to to use that in your families, family worship. Like if you're looking for some direction and some vision of how to do that, just just uh, pull out some fighter verses. We have. Um, we have some bookmarks with that. It's on the website. You can go to fighterverses.com. There are apps. There are resources. There are songs. There's commentary. Memory help. It's, it's a real simple. It's a real simple program. Um, and we just say this is this is a verse we're memorizing this week. And this week it's in Proverbs six twenty and twenty one. We talked about talking about children obeying their parents. Parents. That's a great verse for you to start even today. To say, hey kids, these are some good verses for us to memorize. Um, just how you need to listen to us in our wisdom. But one of the things that might strike you odd about fighter versus the name. Like, like are, are we training like uh, boxers here? Or, or what, what's, what's a fighter verse name about? Well, actually, we are just fighting for the faith. As Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 6. As for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. 1 Timothy 6.12, fight the good fight of the faith. And Paul knew that that believing and trusting in Christ wasn't just a a simple, easy thing. It required some vigilance. It required some effort. It required a a fight. In fact, one time he described the Christian life as a cosmic battle. Ephesians 6, beginning of verse 10, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. But against the rulers. Against the authorities. Against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. Against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore take up the whole armor of God. That you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm. There's a cosmic battle. Our battle isn't flesh and blood. It's not people to people. It is us to the cosmic forces of this present darkness. And the fighter verses just merely help us win this battle. Help us in the fight for faith. That's why we'll continue to just promote those before you. Just week in, week out. These are the next ones. This next one you can pick up anytime. You can do whatever you can. But think about that. If you just take and memorize a verse or two every day, you'd memorize 100 in a year and 500 by the end of five-year program. Not very much of an effort at all. And we're going to continue to... To push that forward. But, but this fighting the fight of the faith, this, this fight and this battle is what Paul addresses in our passage this morning. If you haven't done so already, I invite you to open your Bibles to Romans chapter 6. If you didn't bring a Bible, you can take the one in the pew in front of you, page 943. What I want to do is I want to just read that passage. In fact, I have it there on the overhead. Let's read it together. Romans 6, 11 through 13. So I'll say it together. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. 
Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Now, last week I mentioned that verse 11 is the first command in all the book of Romans. For five and a half chapters, Paul is restrained from telling us anything to do until right here, midway through chapter 6. He began chapter 1 through 3, right, telling us of our sin and how we are under the wrath of God, all of us alike, Jews, Gentiles, religious, moral, agnostic, atheistic, we are all guilty and condemned under the wrath of God. And Paul describes then the middle of verse chapter 3 on through the end of chapter 5 about this gracious salvation that God has given to us in Christ that comes to us by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Even when we were sinners and rebels and enemies against him, God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5, 8. And then beginning in chapter 6, he makes this turn. He begins to address our behavior. He begins to tell us what to do. Or to put it theologically, he begins to address our sanctification. That is the the process by which we live more and more holy lives in conformity more and more to the image of his son. But don't lose the point that it took him five and a half chapters before he ever told us anything to do. And that teaches us much about the order between salvation and sanctification Don't ever mess up that order. Salvation is always first. And then sanctification comes next. See, we we don't clean ourselves up so that we can be saved from our sins. We don't seek sanctification so that we can have salvation. It's the other way around. We experience salvation. And that's the very thing that frees us up to pursue our sanctification. And I just say this. Every other religion in the world, beside biblical Christianity, gets this backwards. Because it's all about what we do. It's all about do this or, or do that. And whether that's a religious things you do or, or some service you go to or some money you give or some, some good acts that you do. You, you do this that maybe you'll be saved in this life or maybe even in the age to come that's when maybe you'll be saved. Whether that's Hinduism and trying to reach nirvana. Whether that's Islam and seeking to, to do good so at the end of life your, your, your balances or your skills are, are weighed in whichever side it falls. Or whether it's some kind of works righteousness that I earn enough so that God can, can then come and meet me halfway. It's not. It's, it's God saving us completely by his grace. And then when we're saved and only then is when he sanctifies us. It's only after we come to faith in Jesus Christ that that God works this work in us and teaches us how to live a holy life. And it begins right here in verse 11 with the first command. And when it rains, it pours. Because Paul not only gives this first command, but he he follows it up with a second in verse 12. And he follows it up with several more in verse 13. In fact, look look at these. The command comes in verse 11. Consider yourselves... Dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So we ought to think, got to consider ourselves, got to count ourselves dead to sin, alive to God. The second command, verse 12. Let not sin reign in your mortal body. Don't, don't, don't let sin, right, be part of your body. That's the parting of the will. And then in verse 13, we have two commands. They're twin commands. 
which actually we'll look at next week. This week we'll only get to the first two, but next week we'll look at this. Don't presenting your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. Don't, don't present your members as sin to sin, but present your members to God. Those are the, the four commands, and, and appropriately my message this morning is entitled Sanctification Commands. Now just so you know, this is applicable only to those who believe in Christ. If you're here today and you haven't believed and trusted in Jesus, just know these commands aren't for you. Your command is to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe in Him and find in Him salvation where it can be found. But for all of us who who believe, this it is. Our sanctification commands. And the first one comes in verse 11. And I'm just entitling it, Win the War of Your Mind. Verse 11. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So win the war of your mind. And that's what Paul is guiding us in verse 11. He's telling us how to think. He's telling us what to think. I mean, that's what consider means. When it says here in verse 11, So you also must consider yourselves. Right? That is, think yourselves. Right? Dwell on that. Think yourself to be dead to sin, alive to God in Christ Jesus. But this word means beyond just, just thinking. And a good way to see that is, if you look back in chapter 4 and verse 4, um, verse 3 rather, we see this verse, it says, what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. That, that same word, counted to him as righteousness, it's the same word as consider. So you might even say it this, this way in chapter 6, verse 11. So you also must count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is logizomai. It's, it's an accounting word. That, that just as when we believe God, God credits our faith as righteousness. So we also ought to, to consider as if our lives are credited with being dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. See, this is no imaginary sort of thought that Paul is telling us. This is not some wishful thinking here in verse 11. This is reality because we as believers in Christ are dead to sin and we are alive in Christ Jesus. That's everything that Paul has been saying in chapter 6. We are united with Christ, united in his death, united in his life. Look at verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Paul says, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? There we are. We died to sin. And now in, in chapter 6, verse 11, he's saying, count yourselves dead to sin. It's the, the same thought that is coming up over and over and, and over again. We ought to consider the reality of our union with Christ is that we have died with him, which means that he died for sin. Therefore, our death with him was a death to sin. But that's really only half the equation because not only have we died to sin, but we've also become alive to God in Christ when he was raised from the dead. Look at verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. And that's what Paul's telling us to consider. He's telling us to regard ourselves, to, to, to count ourselves, to reckon ourselves dead to sin, buried with him, and risen with him as well. 
And again, 6 through 10, he says the same thing over and over and over again. So we looked at this last week, right? But it's, it's helpful. This is all the precursor to the command. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order the body of sin might be brought to nothing, right? Our old self was crucified with him so that our sin might be brought to nothing. So we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Verse 8, now if we have died with Christ... We believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. And just as Jesus died his death to sin and the life he lives, he lives to God. So we also must consider ourselves, count ourselves. We are dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now there's much mystery here. Okay, I confess that. That I, I feel like I, I barely understand these things. How is it that we, living in the 21st century, by faith in Christ, actually participated in his death 2,000 years ago? When he died upon that cross on Calvary outside of Jerusalem on that crucifixion hill. And how can we be, how can it be that we who live today are united with him in his life? I, I can't understand it. And you know what? It doesn't mean it's not true. See, there are many things in the Bible that you might not understand but are clearly taught. And so many times people, if they don't understand it, don't believe it. And I'm telling you today, believe what you don't understand. There's many things in life that you believe that you don't understand. I mean, you don't understand. Nobody understands fully the chemistry of DNA. How it works with a double helix strand. Oh yes, we know a lot about it, but how exactly that works together. We don't, nobody's been able to manufacture that from scratch. We don't understand that. Yet apart from DNA, life doesn't exist. But see, we still believe in it because we see it and observe it and know it. But we don't understand it. Or physics. I mean, you think about the Maxwell's equations, right? The, about how light works. We, we don't understand that, but light is. We just say, no, light can't be because we don't understand it. It's not the case. Or, or even maybe like transistors, how do they work? How is it that when you apply a current, current could go through that gate, you don't apply a voltage, it, it won't. Like, I don't know how that works. And maybe there's some that, that really do, but, but I know I've got a phone and I've got computers that all work with these transistors. But because I don't understand, it doesn't mean I don't believe. And so likewise, here in the scriptures, we see something that we don't understand but it is so clear for 11 verses. This isn't just one obscure verse someplace that talks about our union with Christ. This is, this is all over the scripture. In fact, listen to Ephesians chapter 2 verse 6. Paul says that God raised, past tense, he raised us up with Jesus and seated us with Jesus in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So you say, where is Christ Jesus right now? He's seated, exactly, heaven. At the right hand of God the Father Almighty, Psalm 110. And do you know where we are right now as believers in Christ? We are seated right with Him. You're like, oh, I, don't, I don't understand that. I don't either. There's this metaphysical reality that believers in Jesus are raised and seated up with Him at the right hand of God. Colossians 3, 1. You've been raised with Christ. You have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. I look alive to me. But there's some way that we 
in coming to faith in Christ, <coughs> we die to ourselves, we die to sin, we become alive in Christ, and we are with Christ, we're seated with him in the heavenly places. Now, I'm, I don't know how that works, but I believe it. And, and I think that Paul gives this as the first command of sanctification because of its importance. It is the first thing we need to understand about our salvation is that we are united with Christ. Remember when I was talking in chapter 5 about being united in Adam? How Adam sinned and we became united with him merely because of our connection with him. You say, well, I don't understand that. I don't even like that. Why am I being held guilty for someone who committed some act, some law? I, didn't even, I don't even know Adam, but we are connected with him because we are human. Well, I don't understand that. But I believe that in the same sense. I don't understand my union with Christ, but I believe that. If I'm going to reject one, I've got to reject the other. I'm not united with Adam. I'm not united with Christ. I'm not united with Christ. I'm not united with Adam. These things work together to understand what salvation is about. We just need to believe them. And Paul expects us to know these things. Just shows us maybe where we are in our theology, that we're not as far along as this first century church that didn't even have the New Testament. Verse 3, do you not know that all of us have been baptized in Christ Jesus and baptized in his death? Like, duh, don't you know this? It's a rhetorical question. Or, or verse 6 begins with, we know that our old self was crucified with him. Or verse 9, we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. We, we know these things. Now think on them, he says. Consider them. Ponder them. Count them. We may not understand, but we must know. Well, how can I consider these things? Well, let me give you two very practical, practical things, okay? We've reached a practical section of, of um, Romans, and so I want to give you two practical ways. First is by way of, of illustration. Um, I don't often give illustrations for movies because I don't watch a lot of, of movies, but, but this one really fits. I think it's really helpful. Now, a few weeks ago was, was May the 4th. Right, you guys remember what May the 4th is? Star Wars Day, exactly right. And so um, our family had a, had a good time with Star Wars Day. In fact, we had some food. You see what that is right there? We had some ham solo on that day. We had some Darth Tater tots on that day. We had some chew broccoli on that day. We had some Princess Leah twists on that day. We had some cute... Skywalker on that day. We had some egg troopers on that day. We even had a, dar- a death melon right there for us. A death melon is what we had, right? And we finished it all off with a dessert, some Obi-Wan cannoli. Cool, huh? Maybe the next May the, May the 4th, all you guys can be part of that. That would be really fun. So we follow this up by watching with our family the, the latest Star Wars movie, which is Rogue One. Right? Tell us the, story, the back story between 3 and 4. <coughs> it's, a, it's a great movie, great story. I really loved it. Now this guy, one character caught my attention. Do you guys know who this is? Any guy know what this guy's name is? Who's that? Chirrut. So guys, I didn't know what his name is. David didn't even know what his name is. Chirrut. He's blind. He lives on Jeddah. He's a spiritual warrior monk, guardian of the wills. Now, there's really nothing special about this man. I mean, except he's ordinary in every way, except that he, he's blind. Um, but he believed in the force and in the power. 
And over and over again, those of you who've seen the movie, what does he say? He says, I am... I'm one with the force, the force is with me, right? You guys remember that? He's, I'm one with the force, the force is with me. I'm one with the force, the force is with me. I'm one with the force, the force is with me. And over and over and over again, he chanted that. And though he was, had no Jedi powers, because he was not a, a Jedi, he did Jedi-like things. He was blind, but he could see people. He could read their minds. He could fight an army of soldiers and people coming at him with, with these laser weapons just, just by like, like feeling his way through it. It's like a Jedi would, but he wasn't a Jedi. And presumably his power came from his repetition of this mantra, I'm one with the force, the force is with me, I'm one with the force, the force is with me. We see him throughout the movie just repeating this over and over, whether he's in the city square, whether he's in prison, whether he's in battle. And for him, it worked. Though he was no Jedi, he, he possessed Jedi qualities. Okay, so now, full disclaimer, okay? The Force isn't real, all right? This is science fiction, all right? Last summer, you kids go, I'm one with the Force, the Force with me, I'm one with the Force. And you shut your eyes and try to cross Alpine, okay? That's not going to work. So, <laughs> don't do that. Also, full, this is mysticism at its finest. This is the occult in every way. Like, like mantra saying is the key to successful living, right? Just repeating this thing over and over and over again is going to make it a reality. I'm, I'm no way advocating that. However, I do think that I want to take this illustration about this guy who is taking this one sentence and pondering it and thinking on it and meditating in our mind. I would think about us. What Paul is exhorting us to in verse 11 is this. You also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. I think that it would be helpful for you to say, I'm dead to sin and alive to God. I'm dead to sin and alive to God. Let's say it together, right? I'm dead to sin and alive to God. 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 And you, you would be helped by considering and pondering and counting the reality that you are dead to sin and alive to God. And as we, and we do this, really, it's, it's an opportunity for us. It, it's, it's, it's not an opportunity um, to, to bring what was not real into reality. Like, this guy wasn't a Jedi, but he brought Jedi stuff into him. This is what Paul is encouraging us to do, is bring reality into the forefront of our minds. That we are dead to sin. That we are alive to God in Christ Jesus. And, and if this is genuinely on your mind, I do believe that when sin and its temptations come before you, and you say, I'm dead to sin and alive to God, you will remember your reality and your fight of sin will be better than if this wasn't on your mind. I believe this is what Paul is telling us to do. So consider yourselves to be dead to sin and alive to God. And I do think that focusing on this phrase will help you win the war of your mind. Okay, but, but let me say there's a danger in that as well. Okay, don't think that this is the only way. Okay, that's the key to sanctification. I just need to repeat this mantra. I'm dead to sin, I'm alive to God. I'm dead to sin, alive to God. Because what happens actually is the more you say that, you actually end up emptying your mind because your mind doesn't doesn't work like that 
That's how mantras work. It's to say it over and over and over again. And so you're just kind of saying, going through the motions, and you lose it and you drift it. So I'm not encouraging you to say this 24-7, okay? But I am encouraging you to make this kind of once an hour would be good, right? I'm dead to sin alive to God. Or when sin comes your way, what's that? Oh, I'm dead to sin alive to God. Bring it up, right? But it's not in the, all the words of the mantra. Because you don't want to empty your mind. You want to fill your mind. Because aiming the mind is the key to sanctification. And I want you to fill your mind. Yes, this one phrase, as important as it is, if it's overused, will empty your mind. But if it's used strategically, it will fill your mind. And if you're trying to say, okay, I'm dead to sin, alive to God, what does that look like? And if it compels you to study and memorize Romans 6, and to think about Romans 6, it's done a good job to prompt you in that. If, if, it's, if it pushes you to understand your reality of, of union with Christ and how it is that you are alive to God in Christ Jesus, that's done, that's, that's, help, that's helpful for you. But I, I just say this, don't, don't just think even of those truths. When you, what Paul is saying, consider yourselves dead to sin, alive to God in Christ Jesus, I think he's also talking about just understand the great realities of what sin is of your salvation, of what it means to, to know grace, and just even think about sin, and think about grace, and think about faith, right? Sin, think of its seductive nature. Think of its deceptive nature. Think of its destructive nature. Faith. Think about how to trust the Lord, how, how the Lord rewards faith, and how faith is related to the law. And what faith looks like in practical life. And learn about grace. How free it is for you. And yet how much it costs God. And how it motivates to righteousness. Learn these things, right? Learn about God, the Almighty. Learn about Jesus. Learn about the saints. Learn about theological issues. Let them dwell in your mind. Fill it up. Read them. Read in Romans. Read the New Testament. Read the Old Testament. <coughs> know the ways of God. Memorize key verses about them. Work on your fighter verses. Work on things from Romans. Listen to sermons. Read books. Fill your mind because you aim your mind. That'll be the key to your sanctification. That's the first thing that Paul is talking about here is winning the war of your mind. Because when you aim your mind upward on the things of God, it helps us in the purity of our walk. And your desires for sin will reduce. (coughs) Excuse me. I know all too well how living in the world and have worldly thoughts can have its attractions and can distract us away from the Lord. (coughs) How easy is it to think about the things of the earth? The cares and anxieties of the earth. The movies that we enjoy. The hobbies that are fun. The stories that we love to read. Many things that aren't bad in and of themselves Merely distracting. So you got to hang on. I've got a bad cold. (coughs) This cough drop should help. (coughs) Certainly there are bad things to think about. Okay? There are sinful things to think about. There are neutral things to think about. As it pulls us away and distracts us from thinking about the Lord... We lose the war of our mind. And I say, church family, let's win the war of our minds. So how are you doing? How are your thoughts? 
Are they heavenward? Are they thoughts in the gospel? Are they earthward? With the cravings of this flesh. You know, to help us all win the wars of our mind, I'm adding a new feature to the sermon notes inside your bulletin. <coughs> um, just right outside, you get these bulletins there. We should be handing them out so everyone, everyone gets one. But these bulletins right here, we have my little points, my little blank, right? Win the war of your, of your mind. And down the bottom, I got this thing called Fellowship Conversation Starter Question. I don't know what to call it, okay? But that's, that's what I'm calling. But here, here's, here's my intent. Okay, we at Rock Valley Bible Church, really pretty simple in our setup. Sunday mornings, right, we, we have a three-phase approach. Prayer meeting in the morning, all of you are encouraged to come, all right? Um, second, our big gathering, okay? Y'all are here, wonderful, thanks for coming. And then after that, we have a fellowship time, just as important as the other two. It's a time to hang around, to stay around, where you can connect. We as a church have intentionally, even from the start, We've not had a Sunday night service. We've not had a Wednesday night service. I, I remember even from the start just thinking about how many people are just burdened by doing church. They're going to this church meeting, then to that church meeting, and that church meeting, and that church meeting, and that church meeting. And they're just so over. They, they're so busy with church, they can't minister to other people. And so we have one gathering. We kind of cram things in. And uh, then throughout then, you have the, the time to do the work of the ministry throughout the week. But that's why it's so important to connect after our service, together in our fellowship time, the fellowship hour we have. Hang around, get to know each other, connect, make plans to connect during the week. That's the idea. Well, to promote spiritual conversations, I'm going to start trying this, see how it goes. My fellowship conversation starter question this week is this. What has been the focus of your mind this week? I just know how easy it is to start talking with someone and you start talking about the, the Cubs or the Bears or, heaven forbid, the Packers. And, uh, but just how, how much better if, sorry Thatcher, how much better if you uh, don't know what to say? Why don't you just say this? What's been the focus of your mind this week? And, and that can be like earthly things. That can be like things maybe you've read. Maybe some kind of sermon that you have listened to. It might lead to communicating burdens of your heart. It might mean some kind of spiritual encouragement you found. It might lead to repentance. Say, you know what? I really haven't thought much about God this week. I've been worried about this. Thought about this. Or these sinful desires have captured my heart. And maybe just even asking that question might lead people to repentance and to sanctification. So... This would be a good project. And so I'd love to, love to hear that conversation starter question. So if you don't know what to say, say, what have you been thinking on this week? Because we must win the war of our minds. My second point, win the war of your will. That's verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Paul here is simply talking about kingship. He's talking about rulership. He's talking about control. The king is in control. Who's king of your life? What's controlling you? Are you controlling your life? Or is your body controlling your life? You know, there are many people who live through life just, just indulging the, the flesh. There's unsaved people. This is why it comes with uh, those who are Christians. Only the Christians who have seen their sins forgiven, who then can walk rightly 
and can shed this thing. Jesus, he, right, he, he breaks the power of canceled sin. It's the canceled sin that's been done away with that he breaks the power of. But unless you believe in Christ, you'll be shackled by uh, the passions of your, of your body. The, but the big difficulty here in verse 12 is, is this, is sin can reign in your mortal body. As strange as that sounds. We're de- I thought I was dead to sin, Steve. Well, you are. But the problem is you're dead to sin, but you still have a body. Yes, you're united with him in the likeness of his death, verse 5. Yes, your old self was crucified with him, verse 6. Yes, you're no longer slaves to sin, but we have bodies. And our bodies haven't been fully redeemed. I, th- I think every one of you have bodies, do you? Right, you got hands that move. Right? You have arms that you can move. Legs and feet and toes that you can wiggle, right? You can wiggle them around. you got bodies. We've not been fully redeemed. We're like partially the way there. We're not what we shall be, but we have our flesh. In fact, I love the way that Paul mentions our bodies. He says this, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. Don't let sin reign in this body that's going to die. You know, remember this temporary thing? It's, going to, it's, it's not the eternal body. It's your, it's your mortal body. This thing's going to die. This thing's got so short-lived. Why would you obey this short-lived thing? Don't let it reign in your mortal body. But the problem is our mortal body, this flesh we've inherited from Adam, doesn't like King Jesus. And many of our bodily passions can easily pull us away from obeying the Lord. Now, Bodily passions are good. They're helpful. Okay, like the passion to breathe is a helpful passion. Right? When your, your carbon dioxide fills up, you're, you, you will naturally, whether you think about it or not, you're, it's a bodily passion. You will breathe. You, your passion to eat is a good thing. Okay? But gone overboard can be a problem. But this says this, don't let sin, don't let your body, don't let the passions of your body be in charge of your life. Rather, let your will be in charge of your life. Let Christ rule in your hearts and your minds. Really, it's a matter of the will. And that's why I put down here, there's, in verse 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body and make you obey its passions. I think it's a battle of the will. It's going to be, where are you going to go? See, the, the Christian life, this is where it's a fight. Like, don't let your body reign, you reign. And who's going to win? Are you going to win? Or your body? How about this? I think about maybe a struggle that many of you deal with. I know I struggle with. It's, it's just, just the, the temptation to eat and to eat too much. Have, have you, ever, you ever had that passion where you just, you know, I'm kind of hungry and, and really, but you know, maybe it's 10 o'clock at night and, you know, maybe I shouldn't actually be eating that thing, but... But I really would like it. Have you ever done this? You say, all right, body, who's in control? Are you in control or am I in control? Uh, I know you want, you want that little piece of cake there, that last little bit. And, but I know that you think you're in control. We're not going to have that tonight just so I can show you who's boss. You ever done that? Maybe tonight. Why don't you do that? Right? David has a struggle, right? Nine o'clock, what do you do, David? It's time to go to bed and you pull out your cereal. How about, David, tonight maybe you say, who's in control, my, my body or my mind? Body, you want that cereal, 
But my mind says, you know what, I need to be in control again. And just put that cereal back away. Just try to exercise your dominion. Do you know that if you don't exercise your dominion uh, over some time, that, that your, your dominion will, like, recede? Right? If you're king of something, so say, say you have a dog, right, and you, you, your dog has to obey you, but if you are relaxed on that dog, pretty soon that dog will take every advantage of you. Right? Our, our dog likes to come up and, and eat, right, from, from grandpa's, grandpa's scrap that he likes to give our dogs. And... Um, so we always like push him down. We push him down. So he's learned that, but he'll go up on other people. If you don't push him down, the dog will take care, take over. And so like your body, your body will take over unless you consciously suppress it. And Paul is saying, by your will, suppress the passions of your body. There's this battle. And it takes place. And, and you know what? I so appreciate, Will, and you said, I think it was prayer meeting, or I forget when you said, but, but even Paul, the great apostle Paul, felt this battle and lost. Romans 7, 18 following. I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. So i got this flesh. Nothing good is dwelling there. I have this desire, my will to do what's right, but I don't have the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want keeps on doing. If I do what I do not want, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. And there's the battle. You know what's right, you know what you should be doing, but there's the pull of the flesh, which is strong and hard. We all know what that's about. And I just say, with all your will, with all your grace, empowered, pleading to God, turn from those things, and don't let your body rule your life. A few years ago, I remember seeing a few pictures that Joshua Harris drew out, describing this battle that we have with our, our flesh And they were helpful to me, and I'll share them with you here this morning. I just want to run through his presentation. I'm going to read his comments along the way. This is Joshua Harris. Yeah, this is the I Kiss Dating Goodbye Joshua Harris guy. And uh, he says this. He says, this is you, or us, a human made in God's image. Ladies, sorry, you have to identify with a little guy, and I'm not quite sure why he doesn't have a shirt. But feeding the flesh. This... Is the flesh. He's kind of a, a job of the hut meets WWF wrestler. The flesh represents the sinful, corrupted desires of our heart. It's not a, a reference to our bodies. Our bodies are created by God and are good. The flesh represents our civil cravings and, and live for ourselves and disobey God's law and commands. And before Jesus saves us, this is how all of us relate to the flesh. The Bible says that we are slaves to our sinful desires. Our flesh is boss. If you're not a Christian, I'm not trying to offend you. I know this isn't a flattering picture of your current condition, but it's true of all of us apart from God saving us. And this is what happens when we trust in Jesus. Because Jesus died on the cross and conquered sin and rose again, we are freed from the power of sin. It's no longer our boss. See the chain that is broken? And we get clothes. Which is really great. But our flesh doesn't disappear. It still hangs around to entice us. After we're Christians, we're no longer slaves to sin, but the flesh can still tempt us. We can choose to give in to temptation and indulge the flesh. That's what theologians call indwelling sin. Jesus broke the power of sin, but we still live with the presence and influence of sinful desires. That's why the Bible is full of encouragement to fight our fleshly desires. We can live 
We can't live at peace with it. We have to attack it and deny it. And then Joshua Harris reflected back. He said, in hindsight, I guess the sword of the spirit would have been a bit more biblical. He says, oh, well, he drew the picture and it was done. The problem is that too often Christians make friends with their flesh. In fact, they feed their flesh. We give in to our sinful desires. We pamper our flesh. We provide three rounded meals a day with snacks and dessert. And we might think that because we've been freed by the cross, it's okay to indulge the flesh. But there's a real problem when we feed the flesh. It grows. And before you know it, the flesh is bigger and stronger than you are and starts to push you around. That's why Paul is telling us in Romans 13 that we need to put on Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. We need to starve the flesh. That's what our flesh needs to look like. We want the flesh to feel gaunt and feeble. When Paul says make no provision for the flesh, he's saying don't feed your sinful desires. Don't do things. Don't think things. Don't watch things. Don't meditate on things. Don't do things that strengthen your sinful inclinations. Right? And so the big question for all of us is what does your flesh look like? Is that what your flesh looks like? Or is that what your flesh looks like? With your will... Are you winning the war? Or is your mortal body winning the war? Are you obeying the passions of your body or are you obeying the desires of King Jesus? It's really what Paul is telling us to do here. In verse 11, he's telling us to win the war with our mind. In verse 12, he's telling us to win the war with our will. Let's bow our heads. Just want, even right now, just... For you to think and evaluate. You see those pictures on the screen. They make a graphic point. About where you are in your fight for sanctification. You might love and and adore Christ. And his work on the cross for your sin. Yet it might not make any difference in your life. Well, maybe you don't know what it means to be dead to sin. And alive to God in Christ Jesus. Maybe you've just been lazy and you've thought, I'm forgiven, doesn't matter the way I live. Paul speaks the extent of grace here, more far abundant than almost anything you've ever thought of before. And yet here in our passage in Romans 6.12, he speaks more strongly for don't let sin reign. So what does your flesh look like? Is he a beast or is he impoverished? And don't think even this will that you have, you're going to be able to muster up this week to be able to, uh, to conquer your sin. You, you need divine grace. You, you need help in these matters. Just even now, if you have a, a big flesh and you want it to be small, I just encourage you to repent and cry out to Christ and plead for help. He would release you from the bondage of the tyranny of the passions of your body. Subject your body again to obey your will and to obey your mind. Father, I pray, God, that you would help us corporately as a church to be a body of people who are seeking to aim our mind on things above, seeking to win the battle of our mind to think rightly. God, I pray also that by your grace you'd give us the strength 
and the grace, God, to win the battle of the will, the battle of, of two challengers going at it. And I pray, God, that you would help us to, to win the battle with sin. God, because we are dead to sin, the life to God in Christ. And so would pray for these practical things that we've given today. I pray it would make a, a big impact in our life. God, that you'd see us walking this week ever more holy and obedient and loving to you. God, may you desire just to shine upon us and bless us by our heart's desire to, to seek you and your grace in all these things. We, we know that we are insufficient for this. We know that when we are weak, that's when we are strong. God, we, we know that we, we must, if we think we stand, we must take heed lest we fall. God, but thank you that you have the way out of all temptation that comes our way. And so, Lord, we pray that we would entrust you, God, with all these things. Give us a heart and a passion to, to live holy lives. As Peter told us, you shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. God, we long to increase our sanctification, our, our love for you. That's where our greatest happiness will be. Loving and pleasing you, rather than our short-term body, whose passions and pleasures are only for a moment, fleeting God, give us a strength to accomplish these things. Convict us in our heart, O oh God. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.